Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I'm your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. Now, in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you scale your hosting business by getting you out of the daily operations, which frees up time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager. Focus on high-level tasks that really move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com x. We, start, we are starting our next class in a few weeks' time. So if you want to grow your business, then uh, go ahead and apply. Uh, we'll get on a call with you to see if the program is the right fit for you. And if so, we'll enroll you in our next class that starts February 28th. So check out strlegends.com slash X. Now let's dive into the, today's episodes. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today we are talking about the hottest places to invest in property for the short-term rental market in 2022. And I'm going to discuss that with Marcus Rader, the co-founder of Hostaway, which is a property management software. So Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much uh, for having me, Jasper. It's It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a great topic we have to talk about today. Absolutely, yes, and we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about Hostaway a little bit as well. But before the before we dive into it, like I, I want to ask you something. Like when I hear about the hottest places to invest, where my mind always goes is like, well, once that kind of comes out, and once you once these places make it to like the top five and the top ten list, and people start talking about it, do you still want to invest there? I always feel like you want to invest in a place when it's not hot, when it's going to be hot in five years. You're absolutely right. And there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of metrics that you can go there. But uh, to get the best returns, you can just look at historic numbers. You should absolutely go wherever it's not hot right now. So whatever list you have of the top locations to invest, probably on a piece of paper, it makes the most sense to invest there. That's why they're on that list in the first place. But if you just wait, if you just have the patience to wait 20 years, you'll probably find out that it's actually the bottom of the list has performed the best. And it doesn't really matter how you define the performance. I can give you an exact example of that from from my own life. About six years ago, I moved to to Toronto, which is... um, which is not only one of the biggest cities in, in North America, it's also one of the fastest growing. It has the highest amount of development and one of the biggest tech cities in terms of uh, new job opportunities because you can Im- immigrate to Canada, you can't really immigrate to, to the US and Mexico has limited tech jobs available, especially high paying ones. Now, I thought about four years ago that it would be nice to have a cottage. And of course, cottages were crazy expensive back then. But we chose an area that definitely would not make it to the top of the list. It, 
it wasn't even a suburb. It was it was more of a sleeping community, about a 90-minute drive, which for some cities is still the suburbs. And I, I guess in rush hour, that would bring you about 10 miles outside the center. But my wife said, you know, this is a, a dead end. This is, this is a place that will never be popular. And I said, I agree. But just, just imagine for a while a world where people are working remotely, where the lures of big cities, such as restaurants, gyms, and activities are, for some reason, concerts, sports, are, are not interesting anymore. What if people like, actually want to live in a small town? And even better, what if they want to do it temporarily? What if they want to live there for one month or for even just for a week? And of course, you know, she wasn't wrong when she said that will never happen, but that's exactly what has happened. And uh, it's in the Niagara region for those who know the area. I mean, you want to rent there? Well, it's booked out three years ahead. You, you can't book a cottage in that region. You want to buy a home there? Sure. You could say that prices are lower Toronto or, or Manhattan or London, but it's not like you can buy because the amount of properties that are available there you can't just pick up a list and say, oh, give me number three. No, number three is gone. It was gone before you picked up the list. And it's not like you can walk down the street and knock on the door and say, excuse me, can I buy your house? Because that's what people did two years ago when they were desperate. But now they stopped doing it because they know nobody, nobody's left to sell. So if you want to buy a property, well, my point is, I guess, bottom of the list became top of the list all of a sudden. And that's exactly it. But it, it doesn't change the fact that if you, you were to make a calculated decision on where to invest in real estate market today, you still have to go with a baseline. And that baseline is what we know today. I mean, let's be honest here. We didn't know that, that Toronto was going to have a, have a lockdown, but still have huge immigration going with a huge amount of tech jobs created because of the pandemic. And at the same time, remote working was going to take a hyper leap and suddenly it was the new normal. We didn't know that four years ago, but it happened anyway. And that, that was, you know, part of my mission was exactly that remote jobs and, and uh, immigration continuing tech jobs and so on. That was, that was why I wanted that location. So what you're, I guess what you're saying is if you, if you want to make a really great decision on, on an investment, and I guess this is not just true for short-term rental investments, but for any investments, you kind of have to predict the future a little bit. Absolutely. And I find the stock market is the nicest place to make, to do that because the price of a stock is determined by everyone else's prediction of the future. But it's not a democracy. So one person's opinion is not worth the same as another person's opinion of the future. Instead, Every dollar buys you one vote. So the people or the entities that have the most dollars, their opinions are worth the most. So it's, it's in a way a perfect market. And that's also why the stock market can be so volatile. Because what if that one person has an idea that's really bad, but he just happens to have a lot of money? That means that the stock market on average will be wrong. Evaluation would be wrong because it was one person who got more than one vote. But that's not how it works on the real estate. In the real estate market, when you look at any property, there isn't a market price. The market price is whatever one person is willing to pay for it, but it's not something 
that will be different tomorrow based on the uniform position of every single person on this planet. Yeah. And that's what makes the real estate market much more interesting because you can actually find the deals. You can't do that on the stock market unless you find someone who has bad ideas and a lot of money. And yeah. By a lot of money, you need a huge amount of money to actually swing anything on the stock market. Um, yeah. And usually people who have that money don't have bad ideas in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Like you can't, for, for example, Airbnb. Airbnb has been trading for, I think it's like a year now. So let's say the, the Airbnb stock price is $150. Then you can't really go up to somebody and say like, hey, I, I noticed you have some Airbnb stock. Like I'll, I'll buy it for like $130 because that person will be kind of crazy to do that, right? But with houses, it's like, yeah, I mean, if you sell your house, you sell your house for $200,000, there might be somebody who is willing to pay $300,000, right? You that's just exactly don't know. It. And, and that's also what makes it, you can't go into, I mean, the, the stock market is an auction. And that's how a lot of things, when you, when you go and buy gas for your car, it's an auction. It's about how many people are selling, how many people are buying, and somewhere in between, that becomes a, a market price. And that's the same thing when you go and buy eggs or milk or, or you go and, and grab a pizza. It's, it's a market price between supply and demand. And when it comes to real estate investing, it's, it's almost impossible to find that because when you're buying one property, it's a unique property. But what's also unique is that you're, you're placing your bid or your offer on a certain day. Now, on that day, there's a limited amount of people who are interested in that. Unlike gas, where you know if you don't fill up your car, it could be that some farmer in Romania, he's, he's got a tractor and he's filling it up. You know, you're part of the same market. But if you, if you have 20 people who want to buy a house, it's only those 20 people who matter. Farmer yeah. in Romania is completely irrelevant for that house. And even the biggest real estate investors in the world are irrelevant for that house because the only thing that matters is the 19 other people you are competing with. You won't get to know them, but they might have different motives and different reasons for deciding what the place is worth. And that might be very different from your scenario. And especially if you're renting, if you're buying to rent out as short-term rentals, I think one thing you have to look into is how many of those other bidders are thinking the same thing? Because if all the other 19 are buying it for a different purpose, maybe they're going to tear it down and build a house or maybe build a townhouse or maybe they're going to rent it out long-term. Maybe they're buying it for their kids to go to college one day. Maybe they're buying it for their parents to retire. Maybe they're buying it for their forever home or their starter home. You got to know who you're competing with. And that's where these top lists, again, come in. If you go into a market where you see the top list right now for investing in short-term rentals or buying short-term rental properties, you're probably going to find out that out of those 19 you're competing with, a lot of them are also short-term rental investors. And in that case, you got to be prepared that some of them will have mistakes in their spreadsheets. Some of them are taking risks that they shouldn't be taking, which means they will be paying more than the place should be worth. And then the only question is, do you want to base your investment decisions on the mistakes of others? Then you shouldn't buy that place. Because it, once again, it's not the stock market. It's not the price of oil. That's a global democracy where one dollar is one vote. No, this is a very limited subset where you're competing with individuals who are, let's say, volatile at, at best and crazy at worst. 
<laughs> so okay so basically when we look when we look online and we say like we google uh 10 best short-term rental markets then i guess those are the markets that we don't want to buy that's uh that's right but uh on the other hand if you look at so so something that i've come to learn over the last kind of 20 years in real estate investing is that there's there's basically two schools of thought one is that you gotta you gotta have a good cash return. Some people follow the one percent rule and uh, and uh, they count cash flow. Other people do the exact opposite. So the one percent rule says that you gotta get one percent of the rent of the value of the price of the house every every month, and then it's a good investment. And another rule is that you look at the cash flow. Okay, if you put down this much money every month. Do you have more or less money on your bank account? If you have more, let's say 200 more every month, it's cash flow positive. If you have the same amount, then it's then it's break even. Means you maybe have rent of 2,000 and your expenses are 2,000. Then there's a lot of places that will look bad because they're not only do you buy the place, but every month thereafter you have to put in 500, 500, 500. You're guaranteed to lose money every month, every year you lose 6,000. Just for the fun of being a landlord. And those places have actually gained the most, surprisingly. Those are the ones that no matter what type of spreadsheet you use, no matter what analysis you do, 10, 20, 30 years ago, there were, there were places like, uh, like Manhattan, London, uh, California. Those have been doing very well. Sure, in the last five years, we've seen Austin do great. And in the last year, we've seen uh, Kentucky do really, really well, but that can't compare to 30 years of growth like we've had in, in California. It just doesn't compare. Mm. 30 years of growth was based on poor financial decisions. Yeah. So if you had, if I would give you a million dollars right now and I'd say like, all right, you got one day to figure out where you want to buy something like what, like what would your process be and what would some, some places that you'd be looking at? Very good, uh, good question. I have made some of those bad investments or, or let's say counterintuitive investments, cash flow negative investments that turned out to be some of the best ever because as we know, prices in expensive places have become even more expensive. If, if I had that opportunity today, I would take a deep visit and see what is my vision. I'm a strong believer of, of uh, vision, investing based on vision because even though real estate is, is an individual event, unlike the stock market, which is a global auction, the fundamentals of real estate investment are driven by global trends. I mean, yeah, you have 19 bidders on that house that you're looking at, but they're only there because they didn't buy that other place that they really wanted. And they're only in your market because they got outpriced from some other markets, or maybe they were considering moving to another part of the world, but they didn't because of reasons. Now, those, those reasons, whatever are behind it, they are global. And that's, that's again, one reason why I believe in, in having a vision. I would recommend to others, think about, there's two aspects to it. One is the global circumstances. What do you think the world will look like in 10, 20, 30, 40 years and this, of course, depends on are you investing for yourself, maybe for your kids, maybe for your grandkids. If you're investing for your grandkids, maybe you should be looking at what, what the world will look like 100 years from now. But then there's your individual circumstances as well. 
And those should be implemented there because that allows you to win a bidding war. So first of all, the global circumstances, you actually need to take an active stand. Do you believe the world will be a safer place? Do you believe climate change will change things? And in what direction will it change? Do you believe it exists? Do you believe we have more or less political instability in the world? Do we have more or less problems with uh, food and water? Do we have more or less wealth equality or inequality? I think those are questions that every real estate investor has to have their own vision. Because there's, there's science, but you, you need to believe it. Do you think that 50 years from now, will we have less or more hunger in the world? That is a fundamental question that you have to have a view on. And then once you have shaped those views, you need to take it into the market. Maybe you're based in North America, maybe Europe, maybe Asia. You need to start looking at, okay, where, where based on that vision does that affect you? Then you've got the individual and that's completely independent from the global market forces that eventually determine whether we will have, will we have a single car on this planet in 50 years that uses gas? Yes or no? It's a simple question, but it's one question that will determine the outcome of your real estate investments. But the other aspect is the individual. What do you need? And that's something that can be surprisingly easy to define, or it can be surprisingly hard to define. Uh, at its hardest, you're going to have to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? But at its simplest, it can be things like, do you have children? Do you have a cottage? Would you like one? Well, maybe that's what you should buy. Do you have a home? Do you own a home? Maybe you need to buy a home and not a real estate investment. If you have 10 homes, do you want an 11th one? Why do you want it? When do you want it and for how long? And of course, that has to be tied in with financials as well. But I say, that's how I'd start looking at it. And to give a more concrete answer to what I would do is, I strongly believe in the trends of working from home. I strongly believe that the we've had a good run at uh, wealth or equality in the world. Uh, ever since the Second World War, there has been a growing middle class. I believe that era of our history is coming to an end. I, I believe that the rich will be richer and the poor will be poorer in the coming decades, which means that already by making that choice or making that statement or having that vision, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, but if I invest according to that, it means that the areas that are currently seen as poor they will continue to be poorer and the areas that are seen as rich will continue to be richer. So that already limits my ability to invest into some place that is currently seen as rich and that I find likely that in 50 years, the rich are still going to live there. Uh, do I believe in climate change? Absolutely. But that means that there will be much lower demand for areas that are currently ravaged by fires or where there's no water life is really hard without water. It's uh, a place in California where you can't have a lawn. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a big problem, but when you think about the underlying problem there, okay, why can't you have a lawn? Well, there's no water. Well, it's pretty hard to have, have a life without water. Uh, combine that with wildfires, you combine that with extreme droughts. 
Well, that further removes a couple of options from, from where I would invest. Then when it comes to, to working from, from home or how employees will work, I believe that we're seeing right now a bit of a renaissance in the, in the labor movement that we, we saw in the Western world in the 70s and the 80s, where, where workers got up and said, look, we're tired of this. We don't want to be treated badly. And I, I think that will, will continue, but it, it won't lead necessarily to a higher salaries. Instead, it will lead to more flexibility, more freedom. And I think companies that I personally don't think have done anything good for that movement, I'm talking about the Ubers and... Uh, you mean sharing economy, economy companies? Exactly. The idea that you... You work like an employee, but you're treated like a contractor without getting the contractor's salary. That hasn't done much good, but I, I think that it has accelerated the demand. More and more people are quitting their jobs because there's something better out there, something that's more stable, pays better. And that's what I think will continue. And if the companies can't afford to pay more, they will have to give up on freedoms. You will get to choose when you work how you work, uh, what you're working on, and where you work. And that for real estate is quite critical because it means that instead of living near the office and in a place that's accessible during the office hours or the factory hours or wherever you work, you're going to be want to live and spend time in a place that's nice for you and not nice for your office. So these are the things that I would I would look into um, yeah. if I were in that position right now. Yeah, I think I share a lot of your your vision. Uh, I, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you've been following our like Eric and I what we've been doing, but uh, but that's kind of like what we are thinking too. Is like like right now there's so many people that live in a in a big city because the office is there, and most people don't want to actually live in those cities, right? Most people prefer to live in a in a more rural place or like a secondary like a smaller city or you know in the, in the mountains or near the beach that's where people go on holiday from the cities because that's what they want to experience but they have to be in the city for work right so if you don't have to be in the city anymore then you know you could either relocate and just live in a beautiful place or you could just be the digital nomad and say I'm going to live one month in New York and then I'm going to be live two months in, you know, on the beach in Florida. And then I'm going three months to Colombia. That's another lifestyle that you could adapt. So there's a couple trends that can really drive success for, for different markets and different short-term rentals. But that's, that's kind of what Eric and I are focused on is like, Hey, if somebody, if somebody lives in Los Angeles and can work like two days a week, they can work from wherever, like where can they drive and 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 spend like you know two three or four days, so that driving distance driving distance destinations from larger cities like beautiful areas that's kind of what we're focused on. Yeah, and uh, speaking of cities, what I think will happen is that cities will have a renaissance, and especially well, you can see it already in in Europe. I think one thing that will shake up the North American cityscape quite a lot is that cities are actually going to become enjoyable places to be. That's not because they want to, that's because they have to. What I mean is that, that a lot of cities are, are built around the idea of having a financial district or having an office 
core where people drive in. They're not supposed to live there. They're only supposed to work there. And those cities are facing a horrible future because people will not want to drive in. You don't, you don't drive from the beach to Florida to an office on Manhattan. It's, you just don't do that because the drive is 20 hours. So, but on the other hand, uh, cities are going to have renaissance, but the renaissance is going to look very different. There are a couple of cities in, in North America that are incredibly vibrant and, uh, and have a nice, you, you can walk around, you can, you can go to cafes, restaurants, art galleries, uh, sports events, and everything is, and parks and everything is walkable. That's uh, New York, Toronto, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia. Outside of those cities, uh, maybe to some extent, Portland, Seattle, but outside of those cities, most cities is you, you drive one hour to get somewhere and then you drive one hour to get somewhere else. <laughs> That's all gonna die. It's all gonna disappear. The cities will either be enjoyable places to spend time in or they will die out. So It's that doesn't that, that doesn't bode well for Los Angeles. <laughs> no, I think Los Angeles isn't a city, it's a megalopolis. It's it's just yeah. uh It's just a group of different groups of neighborhoods put all together. And I think Los Angeles has some walkable areas, but uh, but yeah, in, in general, downtown Los Angeles is terrible. Well, it has always been a terrible place to be. <laughs> but yes, they will have to figure that out because otherwise all you will have is empty offices and homeless people. That's it. Yeah. Which is pretty much what you have today you don't i'm not talking about a utopia here a futuristic vision of some 2035 no this is 2022 and we have that right now the question is how will we deal with it and i think that's what cities have to either accept defeat or they have to adopt they have to become walkable they have to have parks that are enjoyable for people where you can go out have a bottle of wine and some food and legally consume it there, have a playground for the kids and yeah, walk to a nice restaurant or an art gallery or a sports event. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I was reading an article yesterday, you know, talking about like predicting the future and climate change, you know, there's, have you ever been to Jakarta in Indonesia? Uh, no, no. So Jakarta is a, is one of the largest cities in, in Southeast Asia. I think, I think there's like, 11 million people or something living there and the city is sinking um number one because of rising the rising sea level but number two also because they've been pumping up too much water out of the ground and and that makes the ground unstable and essentially they've given up on the idea that they could that jakarta can stay where it is and so the government is now planning to move the entire city to a different island the island of borneo And they envision that they're going to be, complete that project by 2050. So that's just kind of an extreme example of, you know, how climate change can contribute to like massive, you know, changes. That's just like, when I read that, I was like, wow, they're going to move a city of 11 million people. That's, that sounds so crazy to me. But, you that's know, a, if you figure yeah. out where those people are going to move and you buy up a couple homes there now then you know by 2050 apparently there's 11 million people going to be living there so <laughs> well well the thing is when, when cities collapse the people don't have to move anywhere 
I, from, from my region where I'm from, there's, there's two cities that have done that. One is called Buffalo. Uh, it used to be one of the, the fastest growing cities at one point, one of the biggest cities in the US. Well, top 20, top 10. Uh, another one is Detroit. And there's nobody who wins there. When people become unemployed and when, when the, the infrastructure that keeps the society together in a city, you know, the restaurants where people work, the schools where the teachers are, where kids go, when all of that shuts down and nobody can buy your home, there's not necessarily a winner in some other city. It's not like Rochester, New York is the new Buffalo 100 years later. No, it's just vanished into thin air. And then what happened to places like Jakarta, and what happened to Miami, what happened to Venice, you know, places that are, are threatened by uh, rising sea levels. Hopefully, someone will benefit, but I wish Jakarta the best. I would not want to be in that situation. But it's, I mean, Miami is having that situation right now. They need to decide. And probably they'll decide to do nothing and wait and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, so it's a great strategy. <laughs> well, it's it's probably the strategy that's the cheapest and, and safest right now. Yeah. But the one that's going to cost the most when, when the whole city goes under. <laughs> it's going to be one storm when the city goes under unless they do something about it. And they know it, but you want to do something about it. That's what I would think about as a real estate investor. You know, if you want to be a part of that or not, you want to take the risk. Or perhaps you want to, well, there's, there's places that will benefit as well. I mean, and benefit in different ways. If you think about uh, the immigration stream into Europe, where they're coming from, there's a lot of people are forced, and same thing with the U.S. actually, a lot of people are forced, whether they want to or not, to immigrate there because they cannot continue living where they are. And, and sometimes there are triggers like war or extreme political instability, persecution and so on. But quite a lot of it comes down to the fact that they don't have enough food and drink. So there's problems with water supply and there's problems with getting food. Now, if you raise the temperatures on those areas by a few degrees, it's going to go from very little food to no food. What will that do to demand of everything in the places that actually have food? Well, the demand is going to go up. And that's also something to keep in mind. It's not a nice topic to talk about, but reality is that uh, life isn't always nice. But the fact is that if we have 7 billion people on this planet, and about 1 billion of them live in a place that they cannot live 10 years from now, 20 years from now. That means that the other areas are going to have 1 billion more people. And then it doesn't matter if people are dying of COVID or if people aren't having enough babies. That's irrelevant because you're going to have 1 billion people moving from somewhere to somewhere else. And that's going to have a massive impact on the real estate markets wherever they're moving to. And that will be slow. So if you can predict where all those people are going to go, then that will give you an opportunity to invest in, in real estate there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you that if you were investing into wineries that were producing ice wine in Germany, then that was a bad bet. You should have gone to Niagara Falls instead because they're now the only place in the world that can produce ice wine. I've never heard Perhaps. of ice. Well, what is ice wine? So... Wine is done by squeezing juice from a grape. Now, if you freeze a grape, you can still squeeze it, but you're going to get just one drop instead of 10. 
But what happens when it freezes is that the sugar crystallizes and the sugar is going to be in that uh, one drop instead of the 10 drops. So you get an extremely sweet type of wine. Now, in order to do that in a good way, you have to actually have the perfect climate. You have to have a really hot, humid climate in the summer that then instantly freezes. It can't be you know, slow moving. It needs to be extremely hot and extremely cold. So there used to be uh, a region in Germany that was doing this, and that's where they invented it uh, because it got really cold. I think it was in an alley between the mountains with a wind tunnel so that you got that freezing effect. But then climate change stopped that. So now Niagara Falls or, or Niagara on the Lake, as it's called, they produce the ice wine. And it's, yeah, well, that's, awesome, that's an example. Yeah, I can tell you that real estate investing in Niagara on the Lake has been extremely good. And it's not only the ice wine, but I wouldn't be surprised if climate change has something to do with that as well. <laughs> well, when we started recording this podcast, I, I did not expect I was going to learn something about wine. Me neither. I don't even like wine. It's weird. I, I'm a beer person myself. Before we wrap up the podcast, let's talk about Hostaway uh, a little bit. What What is Hostaway? Hostaway is a channel manager and property management system for short-term rental property managers. We provide a solution that does pretty much everything anyone in the short-term rental space would need. So from advertising properties to arranging the cleanings, making sure you get uh, everything with reservation payments, payouts, uh, owner statements. No matter if you're big or small, we do pretty much everything. And and the reason why we have such a strong grip with the market right now is that we got the biggest marketplace in the location rental industry. So we have over 100 companies that are integrated with us. And some of them, they call us their preferred partners. These are these are big companies like Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com. They say close away is our preferred or lead partner. But we have over 100 of them. We've been doing extremely well in the last couple of years. We, well, this is public available information, but I believe we doubled our staff in the last 12 months alone. And we just last year, we secured our biggest customers so far, which manages 8,000 properties in six countries. And yeah, that's Hostaway in a nutshell. When did you start Hostaway? How long ago is that? It was in 2015. Ah, got it. But we had a handicap. Uh, we, we had a secret weapon and a handicap. So the handicap was we had no idea about anything related to short-term rentals or Airbnb, which actually was quite hilarious because we realized there's only so much market research you can do before you... People will find out you're faking it. So we actually started managing properties. We were cleaning toilets. We were uh, managing guest complaints. We went and got uh, re new remote controls for the TVs in the middle of the night as a part of starting up Hostaway, just so that we could have the genuine experience of, of renting our places short term. But we did have one benefit. We're technology people. And we saw that, that a lot of this space is built by people who are not experts in technology instead they're experts on one of two things either they're experts on real estate or they're experts on property management which is quite the same so we saw a unique opportunity there to have technology people come in and build technology in this space yeah yeah i think you're, i think you're right because most of the most of the software that currently exists in the short-term rental space is 
developed by people who are solving their own problem. Yeah. Right? It's like you start managing 10 units and you're like, oh, this is so much work. We need, we need a software that like streamlines all this stuff. Let's hire some developers and we'll build the software. But that's interesting. So you're, you have a technology background. Yeah. You didn't have the Airbnb background. Exactly, exactly. And, and of course, there's, there's a lot of successful companies in our space, but there's one thing that all of them have done at one point or the other. They have basically let their own experience of, of the industry go, and they have hired experts, but not experts who are from this space. You know, let's say you're a software company and you're doing something very specific, perhaps in your space, but hundreds of other software companies have done it before. Maybe someone has worked with dentists and another software company has worked with big logistics operations. The people working in those software companies, they can do the magic for you as well. And the ones that I've seen that have worked really well is those that hire the best experts of software and ignore the fact that they don't need to know anything about this space. Because if mm. you're doing one industry, you should really focus on that. If you're running a restaurant, you should focus on the food and the food only. If it's a restaurant for, for people who are interested in music, yeah, well, music is secondary. The food is bad. Nobody cares about the music. It's that simple. Love it. I love uh, keeping, keeping it simple. Um, where can people find more information about Hostway? Uh, great question. Hostway.com. And if you want to reach out to me personally, open Google, type in Marcus Hostway LinkedIn and connect to me there. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks for jumping on the show. This was definitely uh, a very interesting conversation. We could probably talk for hours about all this stuff, but uh, we're going to wrap it up. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming in the show. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back on in the, in the future again. Thank you very much. And I hope to meet you soon again. Was, this was an interesting conversation. And uh, I hope to be on the show again. For sure. And for the listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back. Eric and I will be back on Friday with our podcast that we do on Friday, where we chat about what's going on in our business and the short rental industry and all that good stuff. So make sure you tune in on Friday and we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short rental professionals. Really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you are looking to grow your Airbnb business, then we have a great opportunity for you because we just opened up enrollment for our next class of our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program, Legends X. The program is designed to help you scale your hosting business by getting you out of the daily operations so you can free up time and really become the CEO, the owner of your business instead of the person that's doing all the work in your business. You can focus on high-level tasks that really move the, move the needle in your business and allow you to grow. So if that's interesting to you, then check out strlegends.com slash X. Uh, applications are now open. And when you apply for the program, we're going to get on a call with you to really figure out if it's the right fit for you. We don't want to just uh, enroll everybody into the program. We're really looking for the right people, people that we can bring the most value to. So we're only looking for 30 companies. Um, we're almost there already. Uh, so we do have a few spots left. Um, so if you are interested in growing your business, then uh, don't wait, just apply. That's really the best way to find out if, uh, if the program is the right fit for you. So go ahead, go to strlegends.com slash 
X to learn more about the program. And we look forward to seeing your application. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Get paid for your pet.